Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. How's everything way up there? Oh, my goodness, Dan. Everything is awesome. How is everything down there? It's late. It feels late. This is still early for you, but it feels late. It's not. I, would, I almost took a nap. Did you? Yeah, I couldn't. It didn't take you texting me right when I was falling asleep. I'm sorry. So my pocket started buzzing. But it's just as well. It's just as well. So, I mean, this won't matter to, for posterity, but uh, your, your internet, internet went down there in uh, Austin. The internet was, it was, I don't know if it was city Not in a good way. No. I think, it, well, you know, it was down in parts. <laughs> and you can't do anything when, you're, when your internet's down. When your internet goes down, you just have to just sit and, and wait. I mean, that's it. That's all you can do. You sit, you wait, and you hope that things get better. And in my case, I tweeted about it. Yeah, um, when uh, back in the day when this kind of thing would happen more often with dial-up connections, we'd always call it the uh, the snow day for geeks. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it, that but almost makes it sound fun. Like snow days are are supposed to be fun. Yeah, but it wouldn't be as fun of a snow day if you like if, if school could start any second. You know what I mean? Yeah, like at any moment you would be called back into school and you'd still have to finish the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. You sound really good. Now, I'm, are you in new facilities? I'm confused about where you are. Yeah, we're at the new, we've got a new office. The last office that we were in was kind of a, uh, well, as you would say, a Hail Mary. Mm. Uh, because we wanted to get into a space that wasn't purely temporary. Uh, we were in, like, we were renting a space in a, uh, like a co-working facility. So we had like two adjacent offices in a co-working facility for a while and that was just it was so bad it was so bad so uh we found a place that we could rent that was it was it was like it was kind of like a dungeon jason snell was in there and the whole uh, time no not the whole time most of it and we uh it was dark and it was a huge ginormous space that we just couldn't we couldn't didn't want and couldn't use and configured badly and everything else and and this that was like a month to month uh, and so the whole time we were sort of just kind of keeping our eye out and we finally found something that was, uh, that was pretty cool and it's, it's, it's really cool and it's in a much better building and it's a little bit more South. So it's closer to downtown. And, uh, so we, we completed the move and we've had really, really awesome internet for the first week. Uh, and, and, you know, all the Skype trouble that we were running, I don't want to jinx the show, yeah, but all the Skype trouble that we were running into, uh, seemed to go away. And I don't think that it was actually, I don't think it was the internet connection as much as that. Uh, do people want to hear this? I, I replaced the router. I got rid of the Apple extreme base station and put in an Asus uh, uh, router. And that thing seems to have fixed everything or, and, or the new connection, which is the same speed and everything and same provider we used to have. Uh, but like, you know, like I always, always, always had trouble with an uh doing that show. Always. And Andy has had a good connection up there and we couldn't figure it out. Uh, and, and, you know, I would try all different things and different Skypes. And, and sometimes you and I have issues here with Skype. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll see then, you know, we'll see if the, if, if this helps with this show at all, but we, we do an episode, we do a show called DLC. Um, it's like a, a video game, uh, like gaming show, uh, that they have like three or four guests all coming in with Skype and we, they were always having problems and this week, no problems. But then today, there was some kind of like partial citywide internet outage, which I guess is like a rolling blackout for Austin is when the internet goes out. Hmm. So I don't know. I think people are interested. 
given this is a software how-to show. Yeah, this is a productivity show mainly. It's a productivity show. It's yeah. it's about philosophy. It's yeah. about uh, mathematics. Uh, it's about human relations. It's mm-hmm. about matters of the heart. It's about <laughs> right. spiritual matters. It's about uh, the eclectic uh, lively arts. Yes. Poesies. Um, and all of those things. Uh, I'm going to tell you, as, as I sit here, you know, I, I got bad ears. But, um, I mean, they, they work as such. But, you know, you sound really good. Thanks. You sound better. You sound better than usual. So maybe, you know, you never know. You sound good. Hail Mary. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a very, very unproductive day. What? Because because you were you were basically on hold for us. You were in a holding pattern. I didn't mean it that way. You were way. circling. This is the running problem, at, Dan. Running low on jet fuel. Running low on jet fuel. That's why I almost took a nap on this filthy floor. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Really? You don't want to know. Well, I got a sleeping bag. Oh. oh. Yeah. I only so touched the, one side of it. We were on our way to uh, to a lunch meeting uh, yesterday. And there was a uh, a homeless man in Austin. There's not a lot of them, but there was one. And he was wearing on his shoes what looked like, you know, a football or a baseball mascot. Like think of the Philly fanatic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Imagine if the if the Philly fanatic was uh, was uh, not green, but sort of a dingy gray. Mm. And if you took just the feet. Of the Philly fanatic off and put them on the homeless man, but they were dingy gray. That's hmm. what he was wearing. It, it looked like a, an old mop or something on each foot. <laughs> like, like a Clydesdale? But yeah, more Muppet? exactly like that. And, uh, and, um, we, uh, we were, we were, there were several of us in the car and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I, I remember we were just all looking, uh, and they were like, what is, what's going on with that? I said, I don't know. And I said, I'll, I'll have to ask Merlin because yeah. we know, you know, A, you, you know about homeless uh, because you live in San Francisco and B, uh, you're a big sports fan. Yes. Uh, don't be normative, but yes. <laughs> yes. Everybody knows how much I love sports. I'm a, I'm a kind of a San Francisco fanatic, a yeah. Frisco fanatic. You like the Giants. Wear my mop shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm also, I'm also a student of uh, how the, the people of the roads uh, array themselves. I'm very interested uh, in, in, you know, I'm kind of, uh, I've tried to, over the years, to the extent possible and safe, make friends with people in the neighborhood. Right. You know my program. I, I usually choose one person at a time, at a given time, who I give $5 to every time I see him. That's my program. Right. Right. And that ensures I have an ongoing relationship. And, you know, and you want to help people out. There's one guy here who, who ties lots of things to himself with uh, bread bags. And so he, he looks like some kind of a branded character. And, uh, you know, it's not funny. Uh, it's a, it's a horrible thing, but, uh, Philadelphia is a beautiful town. Used to be, you could not build uh, anything taller, uh, than the uh, statue of Paul Revere, uh, in that yeah, city. That was a rule. That's right. And, uh, that's where uh, John Gruber lives and the Wrens used to live there. And really it's, it's a great country and we're lucky to have it. Well, I was born in that country. Yes. Yes. You, you are, you're, you're a Texan at heart, but, uh, but, uh, but Pennsylvanian by birth. Right. Mm-hmm. So is Ween. Ween's from uh, Pennsylvania. Ween is the the band. Ween is the band. They, well, I think they Ween. They they broke up a year or two ago. But yeah, they're from New Hope, which I think is a city. Yeah, in New Hope. New Hope. I've heard about that. It's near, mm-hmm. up near Cape Cod, I think. Yeah, big big Scotch Guard sniffers. So um, <laughs> it's been a big day. I watched a, I watched a a, a really good um, documentary about uh, video games, and I installed a Ruby script and ran it. 
and I wrote some stuff and played with Marked. I think really if you're doing anything to figure out how to use Marked better, it counts as writing, technically. Marked is the thing that Brett uh, has written, right? Yeah, it's got so, it's got a neat feature in it that I, uh, I may have a use for. But you know, you you know, you can do like a like a file include. Do you know how you can do that? How do you do it? So like, if you've got a, this is actually kind of a neat tip. If you're if you're writing a lot in Markdown and you're using Brett Terpstra's Marked app, I think it's you can Google it. Marked2app.com in the show notes. Where can people find the show notes for for this episode? God, I don't even remember. Uh, let's see. You go to five by five dot TV slash B two W slash one seventy. That's B as in woodwinds, two as in the oboe, and uh, <laughs> W as in also. <laughs> yes. And um, you could do this little this little bit of magic where inside of your text file, I guess kind of like you would do with a you know file include in in, in what they call programming or computer maths, as some people know it. <laughs> you can go in and uh, let me go find the actual little thing. So you can say, for example. Less than, less than, and then something in braces will put in like an unprocessed or we'll put in like an HTML file. You can do less than, less than, and then in parentheses, it'll bring in like a code file, like in this case, the Ruby file. Uh, it's really neat. So if, you have, if you're writing something in chapters, you can have all these different files sitting around you know, on your drive or in that same folder and have them appear in this one place. So you can write all of those as separate sections, even if it's like a long piece you're working on. Mm-hmm. You can work on all of those in separate places and then have a master marked file that all that stuff uh, gets pulled into. Which is, God, I mean, I've needed that since college. Yeah, You know what I mean? It's yeah. such a pain. You know, we used to, do, we, I guess, I don't think I invented this term. I probably picked it up. Version madness. We used to just go through version madness when I was an editor. So you'd get something like we were writing material safety data sheets or whether that's that or deposition summaries, you get like, you know, cadmium warning, cadmium warning, version two, cadmium warning, version two, a <laughs> test, test, delete this version three, a two B dash B, 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 final, final, Ugh. you know, and then you start passing those around with people. I don't know. It's kind of an unsolved problem, but, um, Hang on a second. I think I just got blooped. Is that you? Just send me something. Yes, I did. You made my pocket vibrate again, Dan. That's oh, very disturbing to I'm me. I'm sorry. I thought you would want to see this, though. Oh, oh, look at that. That's oh. how I'm set up right now. Oh, you got it. You got a. You got a cardboard box. You're broadcasting on. Mm-hmm. That's handsome. You, you know, see the a- little light switch that's uh, sitting on top of the box. That's how I control the lights. <laughs> Dan literally has a light switch. <laughs> it's a little rocker. Mm-hmm. Looks like maybe. Uh, it's uh, got a got a on and off, yeah. or or you could toggle. Can you toggle? It's a toggle. It doesn't it. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter which way you hit it. It's up or down, whatever you want. Well, which so what? So what? Does it do the- theater lighting? Does it dim? No, I'll sh- I'm sending you more pictures, hold on, so you can see what the this is the system that's in place. Thank here. you. Yeah. So uh, that's actually a really neat app. But you know, we can't talk about you know Markdown on the show. People get mad when you talk about Markdown. It cuts into the comics time. Yeah, people don't want to lose that. It is. It's really neat, though. I haven't had that much need for stuff like that for a while. But I still, I write whenever I'm on my Mac. I'm doing everything in NV Alt in one uh, folder that gets synced via Dropbox. And then when I'm on editorial on my iOS devices, it's all still synced up from there. It's really great. Do you still use drafts? You know, on my uh, on my iPhone, I am still. That is sort of my primary note taking app. Uh, I don't love. I gotta be honest. I don't love the interface 
when it comes to finding old files, uh, or not old, but existing files, you've got to hit the little uh, paper, the folded paper uh, yeah. icon, and then and it has a very short list at the bottom. It's it's not as easy. I wish there was another way uh, to do it, but I think that the point of drafts is to make note taking really quick and really easy. And you know, like today when uh, I got a phone call from the Tom Warner Cable person, uh, it was you know like I just pull it out, hit drafts. There it is. And I start typing immediately. I don't have to create a new file. It's just you're in the new file already. So I guess that's the the trade-off for it. But it it works. I have a use case for that. I mean, for me, drafts is well over 90% of the time, I'm guessing, just for text entry and then text doing something. Mm -hmm. So what what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll type... Like I might type, what, in this case, B2WE170 show note X 2014, or then I type like SDATE and text expander fills in the date. So if that's the first line of the file, I can start typing whatever. I just want to go create this file. That's really, it's mostly about creating this file. It's a touch, basically. Mm -hmm. And then I just hit the button and I have a little workflow, as they call it, Mm. that turns that, takes the first line of the file and turns that into the name of the file. So it's much much faster than having to name it manually. And then if I have to actually do anything with it, I always use um, editorial. So by the time I flip over to editorial, it's, you know, already synced up. But the other neat thing is if you use that Symperium uh, syncing service, you can have your drafts uh, notes synced between your devices, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I got to look into that. I'm not doing a lot of syncing. That's the other thing I was using for a long time. I was using NVAlt uh, for on the on the Mac side to do all of the uh, like like text editing and processing and stuff. Yeah, and uh, I I used to have something on the the on iOS that would sync up with that, but uh, yeah, that that used to. Symperium is the, if I remember correctly, Symperium is the company that that does SimpleNote, and so it's SimpleNote. It's SimpleNote syncing. I guess is still built into NVAlt if you want to use it. I just you can also just have it point to a folder, and uh, Dropbox will do that for you. So the worst thing that ever happens to me is I get two copies of NVAlt settings, but you know they're usually like a couple you know minutes apart uh, at worst. Um, but you know Dropbox is so good at handling that stuff. I hope they don't get messed up. I hope they don't get. I heard Amazon's acquiring them. <laughs> we got the uh, got, got we we got nice kind of um, you know Ang- nice night. If you mean angry, then yes, we got. You got you think so? It was a little angry. I didn't get that. I thought people uh, said we were reasoned. But there was one guy that didn't so much like it. He didn't say that. Mm. He said he said he. I, I disagree with what he said. But is this the, the email this morning? Yeah, the one from this morning. Yeah, I didn't quite understand his email. He started off saying that we weren't being honest with ourselves and then just basically said it's because a big company bought a small company and that's sad. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Sure I mean, what's, but wait a minute. What's the goal? What is the goal for most companies? I mean, I remember I was talking. Don't, I can't name names. No, you wouldn't. Okay, I can't. You're a gentleman, uh, Dan. Well, I can't. No. And the uh, the guy that was starting up this company... I remember I was talking to him and he was asking me for advice and uh, saying, well, you know, what, how should I do it? Should I set it up like this? Should I do it like this? And I said, sure, you know, we, we, let's talk all this through. And I said, and, and when, you know, when do you think you're going to be like, what's your goal to sort of wind things down? And he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, is this like a, a five-year thing for you? Is it a 10-year thing for you or, or what? And he's like, well, I want to do this for the, the rest of my life. And he's in his maybe mid-20s. And I said, well... No, he's probably closer to 30. I said, 
realistically though, you probably won't be doing this thing, this particular web application. You won't be doing this for the rest of your life. And he's like, well, I, but I'm planning to. And that just, that was really, it, I mean, I think everybody who's starting a business, you kind of go into it with that passion and excitement of like, I want to make this thing and it's going to be awesome. And it's all I can think about. And it's great. And then like a few years go by, if you're lucky, you're still in business. And then you're kind of like, yeah, I had this other idea or boy, this is really exhausting doing all of this stuff myself. And maybe right. I want to do something else. Like you have to kind of have some kind of plan to that, that you want to step out of the thing that you're doing into the next thing, whatever that is. Mm. Um, I so mean, do I, you think, do you think people are, um, being delusional, dishonest, or something else when they say that? I, I don't, I think delusional on the one hand, but I think that for, for the comiXology folks, like, I think this is whether or not the consumers enjoy the end result of this. I think for them, it's probably really good. I think for Zappos, it was probably really good. I think for a lot of these companies that get acquired, Nest maybe, um, I think getting acquired for them is one of the two or three possible outcomes. There's the one possible outcome that you, you fail. There's the other possible outcome that you get really, really huge, like, you know, IPO and you make billions of dollars and, you know, and, and now you're running some ginormous company. <laughs> your, your stock falls to half of its well, top price. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or, you know, you get acquired by somebody and, and for the better or for the worse, either you stay on and you get more resources and you continue to grow the company within the company or you – kind of turn it over to somebody else and walk away. But I think those are realist. Those are the most realistic outcomes. If your business succeeds, like that's probably what's going to happen. It's very rare when you find, and I'm talking of course about like internet businesses, which is what, what we deal in. Not I'm going to open like a hardware store or a law firm or something like right. The, those I think, I think if you're like an attorney, and we we could ask uh, you know Dave and Katie about this, but like I I think because they're, they're the only lawyers we know. Uh, yeah, thank God. Uh, you know, but like their goals are probably like I like law. I think I want to practice law. Maybe I'll practice as a, a junior person. Maybe I'll work up to being a partner. Maybe I'll do my own thing. But like they kind of have a thing that they do, or like an architect is a thing that they do, or a developer is a thing that they do. And I think that this is a very new phenomenon. The mm. concept that like. You can have an idea and go make a business and then all of a sudden like you have a business and you're getting acquired. Like that's I, I think I think that's actually a, a super interesting topic. Um because that's something what you're describing there are uh, once again it's complicated. There are so many things that have changed in the last 30 or 40 years about what you're describing. Just the idea of starting a business. Yeah. That I, I think that would be very interesting to talk about. Uh can I mention one thing on comicsology? Um there's been, you know, I have to say, I, in the stuff that I listen to in podcasts and read, uh, I've read, read and heard a lot of uh, interesting commentary. One of my favorite, well, favorite, one of my, the most interesting things I heard, consequently, I guess one of my favorite, was what uh, Syracuse said on uh, episode 63 of Accidental Tech Podcast, which I put into notes. I hold my children to a higher standard, a classic Syracuse quote. Um where, I mean, I won't go into detail. You can listen for yourself. Nobody should speak for John. But, you know, one thing he said that had not really sunk in with me, you think about the, think about what the margins are on stuff. I mean, there's a the reason. physical that, stuff. Yeah. I mean, so in a, in a nut, he's, one thing he's saying is that, you know, it looks like it's time, again, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, maybe it's time for Apple to revisit 
the idea of this 30% thing. And in fact, not simply to just cut it across the board, but to start cutting deals where, you know, to, to, to paraphrase John, well, you know what, Amazon would get a special deal because when you're amazon.com, come back and we'll talk, you know, that's a lot. This is, this is that the decision to move away from in-app purchases on iOS, at least in the near term is not going to be great for either of them in terms of finance. Apple's going to make 30% of a lot less and Amazon is going to make 70% of a lot less. I mean, I think that it's difficult to imagine that being anything but a drop in income for them, at least in the short to possibly medium term. But he said something I thought was interesting that I hadn't thought about, which is, you know, I, I don't know what the margins are on comic books. So I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what it costs to manufacture, you know, you, you know, there's, there's so many unknowns in that. But then that goes, so a comic book goes through Diamond, Diamond gets it to the comic book store. In this case, it comes out of Image or DC or Marvel. It goes to Comixology. Who then, you know, but think about, I mean, there's not a lot of wiggle room when you're taking 30% right off the top. That's, that does not leave a lot of dough in a low margin industry. So in, in other words, comiXology has almost certainly made some pretty good dough. They've sold as, as everybody keeps pointing out billions of pages of comics in the last mm -hmm. two years or four years or whatever. But at the same time, I bet they weren't making a issue by issue. I doubt they were making a killing. I would, I would not be surprised at all if it was in the, Definitely in the sub one dollar amount. Like, think about it. I mean, if, if it's four bucks for one of those for a premium Marvel title, you take you take thirty percent off the top. I mean, how much is left? Or how much you think Comicsology makes as a retailer? Off of I can't, it can't be. It has to be in the volume alone that they make any money at all. It has to be volume. I, I have I have absolutely no way of knowing or even guessing, and I don't have a calculator here. But I would not be surprised if that was something like a quarter uh, per issue. Yeah, uh, or, maybe. Or, or less. I mean, who, who knows? So, you know, I, I would recommend you check out that episode. You should listen to all of uh, ATP because it's a great show. But also, uh, I thought that discussion was very interesting. And it, it just got me thinking about that. Um, so your comicsology, I mean, how much money is there in the long run with that model? You're almost, and forgive me, fanboys, fan persons, but, uh, you know, a Apple is the only game in town. They're they're the Walmart of of their stuff. If you want to play, you're going to have to play by their rules. So, I mean, what are their options? They were making a lot of volume, but I mean, how much money were they making from that? So, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't know any the answers to any of that stuff, but it did get me thinking about it. But maybe after you tell me about something you like, I, I I'm, I'm interested in this idea, or maybe what I'm imagining is this idea of what happens, like what it what interests you in starting a business, what the kind of just myriad amount of stuff that goes into getting it funded and set up and, you know, even maintainable by the first day of business. And then like just how the change in, in environment over the years has made that such a weird thing. Yeah, it's, it is. I mean, this is a great topic and it's so strange, the idea and how, how strange of an idea would it be if you showed this to somebody 30, 40, 50 years ago that like a person in a room with a computer could create a business that makes millions of dollars. Like that's, that seems insane. Right. There's so many, there's so many sitting leaps. alone in a room. Yeah. There's so many leaps that you would have to walk them through. It's, it's like explaining, you know, anything, you know, 
that you would have to explain to even get to the point where TV would make sense. We say it's like a radio. Well, what's a radio? Well, yeah. a radio is like a telegraph. What's a telegraph? And and <laughs> so, but you know, and, and think about you know, if you decided to take out a loan to to build a barber shop and you had to buy barber chairs and a and a red, white, and blue pole and some mirrors and some blue water and all that stuff that you would have to do, like just the uh, tremendous amount of upfront money and dedication it would take. I mean, it's still kind of that way with starting a restaurant. A restaurant is not like making Snapchat. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, not that, not that Snapchat's not work, but what the amount of work that goes into every single restaurant that you see operating every single day, there is no shortcut in any way, shape, or form for, for, for running a restaurant. Whereas, you know, you could have a pretty lean team of what, five, 10 people. Mm-hmm. You could do a pretty amazing application with a little bit of money, six months and five or 10 developers. But it just seems so strange to me. Like if I was, if, if I was just a business person and I didn't, I wasn't a developer, I wasn't like an internet person. I wasn't like a restaurateur. Just, I was just a person saying, I would like to try to make some money. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to start a business. Why would you look anywhere else than getting involved with or helping start or whatever, a, an internet type of business? Why would you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't make like, who's, who's going to, like, I was talking to somebody the, uh, earlier this week, I guess, Monday. And uh, she was saying, oh, well, you know, we invested in, uh, we're like small investors in this bar. And I said, oh, really? How's it doing? They said, oh, it's actually doing really well. I'm like, well, you know, how does it work? It's like, oh, we gave them, you know, a little bit of money and, and you know, we'll, we'll, we've almost have our, all our money back. And in the next two or three years, it'll be back. And then, you know, after that, we'll, you know, we'll have, uh, we'll, we'll make some money. That wasn't really why they did it to make money. They kind of wanted to be a part of it, but like a bar, like to me, it just strikes me as like that, that seems like such a risky and potentially bad investment compared to something like uh, you mentioned Snapchat. Like I would love to have invested in Snapchats in some capacity early on. Like, even though I do, I think I've used it twice and have no interest in it. And yeah, you know I mean, insert, insert you know dollar sign app here. I mean, yeah. whatever that is. I didn't mean to, but but what you're describing though is there's that quote uh, that I heard about through Gruber of Walt Disney saying we don't we don't make m- movies to make money. We make we make money to make more movies. And, you know, if, if you have turned, you know, how true that is, I don't know. But I mean, obviously those guys work pretty hard to make what they made. If you're somebody who wants to run like a family business, I mean, that's more than just a little bit of lifestyle fun on the side. It's not like deciding to do sailing lessons on Saturdays or something. That's, you know, that, that is, that's an ongoing, that's going to be 12 to 14 hours a day yeah. and all the money you can find. Yeah. What do they say? It's at least six months before you make money with the business, you know, with a uh, restaurant if it works well. Um, it's it's just that the, the and I want to hear what, what you like, but the the part that I think is interesting is that you know when you think about you could have this explosion of money and activity that goes into making an app, and I don't I don't want to say an explosion of money because a lot of times you know people don't work for anything. They there's all kinds of ways you can choose to do it. You could do it on the side while you're while you're working at another job, how, however you decide to do it. But it is really interesting that like. Even in, in as long as there is like a couple dollars in the bank, you could at any point decide to just stop doing it, and then you kind of just disappear. And 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 there's not even a restaurant with a for for rent sign in it anymore. It's it's really strange how quickly you could choose to pivot to something else, and then the, all of that is just kind of gone. All of those, all the effort and the money and the time that went into all those little bits just vanishes. I mean. It happens a lot when companies get acquired. Not not that it's a good or a bad thing, but I mean, there are all kinds of services that we've all loved that had 
it's so ironic that some of the services, like some of these photo backup services and stuff, they talk about this on the prompt a lot. They have a habit of cursing these services by mentioning them. But, you know, how hard is it to find like a photo backup service that makes sense, that does it reliably, but is also kind of fun to use and to look at your photos. And then that company gets acquired and the product is just gone. And it's like, wow, it's so weird how it's almost like, you know, the laws of thermodynamics really don't apply in this case. All of that effort just kind of dissipated and there's nothing left. Whereas, you know, it might take you, you know, three years to discover that your struggling barbershop isn't going to make it. It's, yeah, right. I don't know. Uh, so did you want to tell me about something that you like? I want to tell you about a couple of things I like. The first one that I'll tell you about today is Linda. You know, it's funny because we're talking about uh, starting something up. We're talking about learning skills, internet businesses, that kind of stuff. Well, Linda has been here since the beginning. They have thousands of video courses. They talk about software. They talk about creative businesses. They talk about, I mean, you name it, photography, video editing. And if you're a software developer, if you want to learn how to use software, if you want to learn how to use applications, pretty much anything that can be done in and around the space of computers, like that is a really good place to start, Linda. These guys... Like, here's one that I have in this notes right here. Check this out. The power, I think this thing is called, have you used the software Previs? Previs? No. Okay. Well, this is, this is a, this teaches you, there's, they've got a course here that I picked out it, and I'll tell you why I picked it in a second. They, let's use video as a tool for telling a story. Okay. About where your projects are going, making concepts a reality in the pro collaborating, identifying potential trouble spots. Guess what? Adam, Sandy. Yeah. You remember him? Yeah. He's featured in this course. What? Yes, it's real. So anyway, you go to lynda.com slash back to work, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash back to work. And, uh, and you're going to be, that, that's our URL. That's our place. That's the, the, the point of which you begin. So nobody but, else should use it, right? Just us. And, okay. uh, and, and, but here's the, all experience levels. If you're a beginner, if you're intermediate, if you're advanced, whatever you are, there's going to be a course for you. And the way that it works is you pay one monthly price, 25 bucks. You get unlimited access to the entire library. Every course you want, as much as you want, watch all of the stuff that you want. That's how it works. And uh, tons of other stuff. They got stuff for, you know, you're using Keynote 6. They got stuff for Google Docs. You name it. So anyway, go check this out. It's a sweet deal that if you use that URL I told you about, you're going to get access to the entire library for free for a whole week. That's at lynda.com slash back to work. Start your trial. You don't like it? Go fine. Go away. I think can, you will. Can I tell you one thing I like? Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Is it okay? I want, you know, we, uh, I'm super interested in the topic of expertise and I'm trying to learn a little more about it, but even based on a little bit that I know, I, I, I'm aware that one of the biggest problems with getting good at something is knowing what it is that you're even trying to learn. Like you might even, you might not even have the right idea about, you might be, not be calling it the right thing. You might not know where to go to get started. You can certainly go out and Google for stuff and you can probably find some, you know, some, some tutorials and stuff like that. But this is very carefully put together. So once you get even a basic start, I'm looking here now in the, um, in the graphic design section and it's just, it breaks it down so great that, I mean, you can, there's sections on color, typography, they have 25 on typography, 27 on color, 35 on design techniques. And I love the idea that you can kind of go at your own pace and go through and explore the thing that interests you. And the more you learn, the more you'll know what you need to learn. And it's structured in a way that's really sensible. I just, I think that's a great idea. Lynda.com slash back to work. Go check them out. Great folks over there. How you doing, Dan? Better. I mean, it's pretty good. 
distract you know it's stressful you know you like it like it's weird because we you know you think if if you swim in the waters that merlin and i swim in folks mm, wash your hands the internet without that like it you can we can do stuff like we're still we went to the old office we gathered up some stuff we brought it over we set things up but it doesn't feel like you're doing anything if you can't if you don't have the internet, it feels like, what, what are you doing? Like, what are people doing? Like I was watching Mad Men and, uh, and, and they, they got Don, I'm not in spoiler, I guess they've got Don in Lane's old office. Oh, it's killing me. It's killing me. It's brutal. And he walks in there and he sits like, all he needs, he needs like a desk and a typewriter. He can work a phone and a, and a Coke can, a Coke can. Apparently that's pretty important to him. <laughs> But, uh, but I mean, think about that. Like, think about it. If that, that if for you to work as a professional, as a highly regarded, skilled professional, that all the tools that you need equal a Coke can, a typewriter, and a phone. Right. Yeah. And the phone, maybe you don't even need that in your office, really. This actually gets to the part of the complexity of, the, of what we were talking about with, with starting a business. I mean, whether, whether you're going to make, for example, like in Cincinnati, uh, there's a lot of mills and a lot of places that do, what's the word for it? But like, like very, very fine machine parts. The kinds of things that you would use in like aircraft or in building other equipment, like very low tolerance, low failure tolerance, like stuff that's got to be made to exactly this many microns or whatever. Like think about what's involved in, in starting a, a business like that and then maintaining it and evolving in all the ways that you would have to. I, I would just have to imagine that that's really complex. I would sure, think you could, so. You could talk about a restaurant. You could talk about any kind of trade. You could, you know, uh, but, but, you know, in all of those cases of what you might think of a traditional business or a traditional manufacturer, um, there's some level of abstraction to it, but eventually you have a product that comes out that you then go and sell to people. Well, the revolution in knowledge work is that our work became more abstract because we, you know, whether you're somebody who was um, doing public relations in the 1950s or you're somebody who's uh, doing stuff with rails in the, in the uh, whatever this is, the teenies, what are these called? What, the... <laughs> I don't know what, what this era is, era is called. The oh, jazz age, we'll call oh, it. Yeah, the, the golden age. Golden Jazz Age. Um, so back then, so back then, it used to be that you started to more and more accept how abstract what your work was. So if you were like a design director, or you're somebody who was managing other design people, you might work for people who did sketches, and the sketches got turned into schematics, and the schematics got turned into like fully inked out drawings, and then somebody else had to do in the colors, kind of like in a comic, right? And you would do the four color separations, and somebody would have to be in charge of managing, taking that to the plant, and there'd be somebody who's doing color correction, you know what I mean? But you accepted that in knowledge work over the last 40 or 50 years, there's a natural level of abstraction. There's no there's not a machine that you go to in the office anymore. Not even the printer. There's really not a machine you go to in the office to go, okay, here's the thing I made. It's been very abstract for a long time. What people add to a business report is, is difficult to quantify. Um, and then, you know, that's part of what makes management hard is it's hard to know what did this person, what percentage did this person contribute to this project? But it's interesting to me that over all that time, we all had to make our own peace with the fact that our work was kind of abstract and that became problematic. Sometimes you couldn't tell how well you were doing, whether you deserved a raise and so forth, mm -hmm. but it is what you're describing right now. Now it's, I won't, it's not full circle, but it's another evolution where the tools that you're describing, like Don back then might have typed something up on the typewriter that he threw through the window. He would type something up. That would go to somebody else. It would get edited. It would get typeset. Right. He was still four or five evol or like uh, you know cycles away from that turning into something in Life magazine. Yeah. But you can sit there now in an application on your phone 
and do your work in a way that transmits directly to people. So if you're a writer, you can write in a way that publishes directly to the medium where you reach your audience. If you're, uh, I mean, in a somewhat wackadoodle example, I guess, I mean, I've made stuff in GarageBand that I've gotten paid for. I've done that on my iPad. And then, and then I can, I can like post that right from, you know, my device. Um, it's just strange that now we're at a point where it's, it's so crazy that assuming you don't use like a, if you're, if you're, you know, nutty enough to not use a staging server, you could be doing live code out on your site. Sure. Right. You could go, you could go in and, and make changes to, to live code that's changing your product, like right there. It's so strange that like after all of those years, I don't know if this is making any sense, but after years of going through all of that abstractness, now more and more, you really could be somebody who to any outward appearance types for a living, just like everybody has for the last 50 years. But the thing is you're typing for a living in some cases can go directly to your, to your audience. You might have to go and, um, I haven't eaten. What's the term uh, when you're making your code come out of Xcode? Need to build. Yeah. You might compile? need to do, yeah, compile, build what you're doing. But the, I don't know. I just think that's a very interesting change. And so to, the, to me, the frame for this conversation that makes it interesting is that I'm not saying it's simple to go and necessarily start a successful business, but the barriers to entry are so low. Well, at the same time, the decisions that lead you to want to exit it seems so easy to just walk away from something now. You know, if you walked away from Cincinnati Millicron in 1969, you would put a lot of people out of work yeah. and leave a lot of companies unable to use their machines for a while. And I don't know, that's an interesting change. And I wonder, you know, if the, this is a little dramatic, but I guess I wonder if the ease of getting into this stuff once you know what you're doing is offsets the uh, combustibility of how those businesses can change and even just go away. Because it is weird, like milkshake. My pals over at Milkshake. They've oh, got we, I'm glad on. you remembered this. Okay, I wanted to yeah. talk to you about this. That kind of hit me out of nowhere. Me too. I mean, God, God bless them. They're the best. I'm glad they're doing whatever they're doing. They're wonderful people. But it was kind of weird. It was like, oh wow, Milkshake's going away. That's weird. That's that's a thing now. And like, I think, and, and I'm not disparaging, but I mean, that kind of thing happens all the time. And uh, I guess that gets even weirder when your little typing business relies on somebody else's little typing business in order to make stuff. Because that's really all, all this stuff is in a lot of ways. It's just different typing businesses. We're just typing different things. Sometimes it makes code. You know, sometimes it makes blog posts. And sometimes it, um, it makes enterprise software. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. That's all. Well, so for people who don't know, uh, Milkshake. Well, what was, what is or what was Milkshake? Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's an image sharing site. Yeah. Very, very conducive in, in a, in a pre Instagram time, mm -hmm. post Flickr, pre Instagram time, Flickr or, um, Milkshake, I think has been really good at, um, to be honest, I don't use the actual site that much just cause I, 10 years ago, I would have been on that thing eight hours a day. It's just not my thing as much now, but it was a place where you could post images. People could comment on it. Things were a little memey, but it was much more lightweight than something like Flickr. Um, and you know, I, I have to imagine that it's pretty costly to run. I mean, all those, whatever AWS bills really, you know, start to pile up after a while, pretty costly to run, especially when so many people are using something like Instagram. Don't, don't you guess? Totally. I think that, you know, it's weird because they came out almost at a, uh, a transitional time because it was right before Instagram kind of was there or before it really started to pick up steam and you had a you had a very interesting idea and, and the idea was we'll make it really easy for people to sort of upload and comment on stuff. And it wasn't quite like a Tumblr 
it just it was kind of an in between thing, and I actually we use it uh, and have used it for a long time to as a, as a sort of cheap and easy way to <laughs> to put like uh, images into our show notes and stuff like that because it they, they made it they not only made it easy but they encouraged you to sort of use it as a place to sort of host your images, but they weren't the kind of images like this is my you know my my 16 month old taking uh, her first steps or something like that. It wasn't like that. It was like this is a picture of a bird or here's a funny uh, gift that I found online or GIF, as you say, or, you know, here's something, you know, from a comic book that I want to put somewhere so I can link it over here and paste it over here. It's a very interesting kind of fun little service, but I don't And, and I have it hooked up through TweetBot. Yeah. So using the API, I, I have my images that I post go to, I have had my images go to Milkshake instead of TwitPic or whatever. Yeah, and you can uh, you you can hook it up with a lot of different services, but they just announced, and I put this in the show notes too, that they're shutting down September first, two thousand fourteen. And they here's what they say as to why they say Milkshake isn't our primary source of income, and it's certainly not our primary focus. Despite earning very little from the site, we still have to answer tech support, deal with spam, fix minor issues, fix major issues, keep the servers updated, sort out billing issues, and worry about the months we get linked on Reddit. Sometimes the server and bandwidth bill will be more than we took in for the month. This is scary. And they said that, of course, they would they would sell it if someone wants to go and buy it, if they think it's a good fit. Um, you can download all of your files as a zip file, so they're letting you export your stuff. And um, Andre and- said there was one person that – was it something like – I know it was gigs. It was multiple gigs. I want to say three gigs. But somebody <laughs> – think about that. Even just downloading those zip files, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, band, the, the bandwidth, bandwidth involved. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they're, but they're doing it, and people who have bought uh, like a pro account or whatever they call it, a subscription account, rather, um, you, they're giving refunds. So I don't know how they're affording to do all this. It's got to be a hit for them, but there you go. They're good people. Um, yeah, and, it, and it's, it, you know, this is, this is like what, what we were saying at the top of the show is like people, you know, the business that you're starting, you will not necessarily, you know, be in it forever. Something will happen that will cause it to change usually. And and in this case, they couldn't, they couldn't keep the thing going. It didn't, it didn't get to be as popular, I guess, as it needed to be. Why um, else would they cancel it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, or not popular enough with people who are paying, I guess yeah. would be another way, but yeah. yeah. But too um, popular for people that weren't paying, not popular enough with the people who were, you know, um, uh, Brent Simmons was on where probably command space. I think recently, I think that's right. Anyway, anyway, and Brent was talking about like you know, uh, it's so it's so amazing to think about how his stuff has changed over time. I mean, he used to work for Dave Weiner, like he used to work at Userland, mm-hmm. and you know when he, I, I mean, as far as I know, um, Net Newswire, which came after that, Net Newswire was the first RSS reader I re- remember ever having or being aware of, and I mean it was certainly like the flagship. RSS reader for oh, the Mac yeah, totally. for years and years, for years, years and years. That was like, that was my, my routine every morning, even before email in many cases was to fire up that newswire and read, you know, read, read stuff. Right. And he and Sheila ran that thing and it was great and it got updates and it was swell. And, you know, the short version that I think ends up being kind of interesting is, you know, there's been all these different machinations and, and buying and selling and he, some of his products he sold to Daniel Jockett over time. Uh, I think he's, Mar- Mars Edit, I think, started with, with Brent, if I remember right. Anyway, but then they got acquired by, uh, was it, um, what's the name of the site? NewsGator? 
Yeah, NewsGator was who acquired which, which at the time was uh, a, a company that had, um, I think it was like lots of they had apps, but it, they had a a really popular PC and web based. I think their the titular app was like a, uh, a newsreader, mainly for Windows and the web, right? At the time, it was pretty robust to have something that you know that would be able to do that, and it seemed like a great fit. They had it for a while. Long story short, it eventually got to where they pivoted to be like a SharePoint, a Microsoft SharePoint company. I mean, it's it's just so bananas that you could start out being 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 a couple that does development and support on a Mac app that then becomes part of this other company. And the way he phrased it, he sounded he was very gentlemanly about it, but it sounds like it was basically, well, you know, you, you better figure out something to do that's going to make some money or, you know, find something else to do. Mm-hmm. And because now, we, <laughs> now we're a Windows SharePoint company. Uh, and that's what I think that comports with what you're describing, which is that everybody's got to figure out you know, pivot such a stupid word, but you know what it is that you're going to do to make this thing sustainable, and you know, it's at the same time. And this is not directed at anybody, but I think it's a real thing. We talked a few weeks ago about how you know the extent to which a company will be so 100% into this product, a la Google Plus, right? Oh my God, this is the greatest thing. You got to use this. You got to get it. And then one day, it's not such a big thing anymore. And even they aren't that excited about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but you go like, wait a minute, I, am I a crazy person? It seems like you've been begging me to put everything I conceivably can into this app for like two years. So like, what now are you flagging on your interest in, in fulfilling all of the promises that you have overtly made to me about what this will do for my life? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to call people on the carpet here, but it's worth saying that the extreme amount of over the top enthusiasm that every developer slash entrepreneur has to have for their company is not an indication of how long that thing's going to be around. They might be super excited about it for a while, and then it goes away. And that hurts us because, I mean, I don't say it harms us. It does, can harm us, but it, it bums us out because we really put ourselves into that. We put our time into that. We became a kind of um, attention investor by the amount of time that we put into using that app and learning how to use it. It's yeah. why I still use TextMate 1 because I just have never gotten off it. I've never taken the time to to do the other. I think I will. It looks like Sublime Text 3 just came out. But no, but me, Mr. Typing Guy, like I'm in there in TextMate 1 still. But you know, but here's the thing. It's like it's a tool that you know and that you use and and I would, and it still works. <laughs> I would, yeah, I would challenge somebody to show you that it, it doesn't work for you. There might be other tools that might work better or not. They might be different. Well, no they might be I compromises. Do, I, I got to, I have to take the time to pull everything over. Yeah. I don't know how I, I don't know. I, I assume Sublime Text can read those macros that I use a hundred times a day, but I, you know, just the very prospect of having to change all that is a pain. Right. And I'll tell you, if I woke up one day and suddenly for whatever reason, it was all just gone. I would, I would be pretty bummed. But I'm also sympathetic to the fact that people have to be able to, on the one hand, have to be able to make the money they need to make, but also that they should be able to do the stuff that they want to do. It's just that that's, I don't know. I mean, back to our original point, though. It's it's it it was would have been pretty unusual to like wake up one day and suddenly to again to quote Mad Men, Burger Chef, like wake up one day and suddenly Burger Chef just doesn't even exist anymore. Like that wouldn't happen. Whereas you might wake up tomorrow and find out that, you know, there's just a, <laughs> there's a bunch of pings inside your app that says, oh, by the way, you can't buy, you can't buy your comics here anymore. Or you've got 30 days to download your data. We just got acquired by Google or whatever. It's just, that stuff can go away so fast. Now. Well, and then there's the other flip side of this. Speaking of companies that are changing or going away, uh, you remember app.net. 
Oh, right. I saw that. That's a yeah. bummer. So they've got Dalton, Dalton Caldwell mm-hmm. had a post uh, that came out, uh, I guess it was, yeah, earlier today, actually. And app.net, for those who don't know, is sort of a, I guess they were, it was like almost an open kind of a Twitter. They wanted it to. It's like they wanted to take Twitter and make it into more of a platform. I think, I think a couple parts of it where they wanted to make it more of a platform that had built in ability. It's like guarantee you'll be able to do this cool stuff. It's not, it's not going to be a hack or an undocumented API. Here's stuff you can do with this, but also that by being a member, there's going to be, it's going to be sustainable because you're not, it's not going to have all these features just go away yeah. because we decided to, to change the way we serve ads. Exactly. And uh, they were using it. They had a subscription uh, plan. And so I guess it's been a year now since they did that original push to say, hey, we, we need your subscriptions. And they had a renewal rate that – I'm quoting his, uh, his post here. He says, the good news is that the renewal rate was high enough for App.net to be profitable and self-sustaining on a forward basis operational and hosting costs are sufficiently covered by revenue for us to feel confident in the continued viability of the service. No one should notice any change uh, to repeat app.net will continue to operate normally on an indefinite basis. And now here's the, but the bad news is that the renewal rate was not high enough for us to have sufficient budget for full-time employees. After carefully considering a few, considering a few different options, we're making the difficult decision to no longer employ any salaried employees, including founders. Dalton and Brian will continue to be responsible for the operation of app.net, but no longer as employees. Additionally, as part of our efforts to ensure app.net is generating positive cash flow, we're winding down the developer incentive program. So this is confusing to me because on the one hand, they're saying, hey, app.net will continue indefinitely, but we laid off everybody. Nobody's, it sounds like really going to be working on it anymore or developing it anymore. So I don't understand that it sounds like like it, they're almost saying like what it is now is what it will continue to be forever but it won't get any better it won't get worse it won't get better and they're canceling their developer incentive thing which was like every was it every month they would pick a developer who would get i guess if they developed something for app.net they would get paid something and there was something related to how much i think it was based on this could be an api thing i don't know how they quantified this but based on how much the technology you made for using app.net based on how much it got used, I think they gave you a certain amount. And, uh, who was it? One of the developers I follow on Twitter was saying, well, you know, I'm sorry to see this going away. You know, you know, it was only like a 200 bucks a month, but it was still nice to get. Um, but yeah, I think that's how it worked. It was something, they had a bounty of some kind for developers to encourage people to make stuff. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know if I'd spin it any different. It's very spinny. Yeah, I mean, it, it what is they're, what they're saying, <laughs> they're, they're kind of saying where it's, I mean, what they said is what they said, but reading between the lines, it sounds like they're saying they're not going to be actively developing this anymore. If it crashes, somebody will come in and flip a switch, but they're not, the, you know, they have other stuff they're going to do. But, which is a bummer because again, a lot of people, you know, and again, this is, I don't mean this as a criticism, just as, you know, an observation that, I mean, I, I don't know about you, I got sick to death of hearing about app.net. Um, I sh- got super sick. I signed up, I re-upped, I want to be supportive of their of their program. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... Um, oh, and they're open sourcing their most of their infrastructure Well, good for them. Too. That's cool. But, but I mean, you know, it was all people talked about for the longest time. And, you know... The, the, but the irony was, of course, the best place to talk about app.net, the second best place to talk about app.net was on app.net, but the best place, the most popular place to have your posts seen talking about app.net were on Twitter. So that, for a long time, that's all that people talked about. And, um, 
So I think there was a lot of hope that it would stick around, and I guess it will. But I mean, so does that mean maybe not next year? Yeah, they indefinitely is. But what does indefinitely mean? But I mean, is there enough definite there to say that it's going to? But I mean, and also, uh, let let me be honest with you. I'm not going to use app.net now. I mean, I did use it. I had an account. I've, I think I've got Dan over there. And, you know, I use it sporadically and I'll read, you know, more more as a, you know, a follower of, of my friends and stuff who use it or who exclusively use it. And it just, it like, I'm not going to, of all the potential tools or avenues that I have to pick to share stuff, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, whatever, the two big ones, obviously, Twitter and, and Facebook, I'm going to either pick Twitter or Facebook or both. In my case, it's Twitter where that's where I'm going to go to share things. That's where I'm going to go to try and, and talk to my friends and my community of, of, of people and, and all of that. That's where I'm going to go for that. And I'm not going to go to app.net. I'm not saying people shouldn't go there or people should throw it away or switch away from it. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying for me that if I had to compare the potential future outlook of Twitter and app.net. Yeah, there's crap with Twitter that I really don't like. Like there's plenty of stuff that I I am not that interested in that they're doing or stuff that they're continuously changing or the fact that they're now ad driven. Well, of course they are. But that means that I and I and I'm one of those people who would much rather pay to use Twitter than have to see ads and we've talked about this. But there's just it I'm not going to invest my time and or money in something that seems now like uh, no offense, Dalton, but it seems like a dead end now. Continuing well, indefinitely does not encourage me to be like, yeah, I want to jump in now. The trend line is not positive. Right. The trend line is not saying this is a place where more and more people are going to show up. That's that's part of the problem. But something, another thing, as long as we're on this horrible topic, another thing that came up this week was um, a pretty cool app for iOS uh, called Moves was recently acquired right. by Facebook. And Moves, which I've used in the past, it's a pretty cool, very simple app, um, which is a compliment. Uh, very simple little app that uses the M7 in your iPhone 5S to track your uh, stuff. So it'll keep track of your steps. But when you fire it up, you open this app, and you see this really cool vertical timeline of where you've been with maps and stuff. And so you say you took this many steps today, you were walking here, you were running there, you were on transit here, and so forth. And it's really neat. Of all those kinds of apps, it was it was a, a pretty cool one. I've had that thing on my phone. It's not my primary app that I use for that stuff, but it's one of the ones that I'll look at from time to time, especially if I'm, you know, a big day out with my daughter where we go lots of places. It's kind of fun to just go and look and say, wow, we, you know, walk five miles today or whatever. That's pretty neat. Um, here's my question. Uh, I don't mean this to be booga booga, but I think this is a question it's time for us to start asking. That app has been running on my phone for months. Uh, it has, to my knowledge, I guess, been sucking down a really large amount of data about where I am every given moment, 24 hours a day. It's, I mean, it's all accessible through this app. And certainly, yes, I'm sure I have tacitly signed up for some kinds of terms of service. I'm not going to go and read it right now, <laughs> but like, let me put it this way. If that was labeled as a Facebook app, like I don't use Facebook, right? But if that was a Facebook app that I could use without having to log into Facebook, I, I wouldn't have used it. If it required a Facebook login, I certainly wouldn't use it. <laughs> but I mean, I just that's just not my thing. But I guess what I'm trying to say is if that had, if I had known that all that data about me could yeah. potentially 
be passed. And I, I don't know the details of how this works. I can, all I'm saying is if we go a little bit speculative fiction here, I can imagine uh, lots of scenarios in the next two years where information about your location, uh, your relationships, your health, your finances, et cetera, your preferences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is all going to become more and more precious inside of these apps. I wonder if we're eventually going to see a time where we start asking companies like, what is your, what is your policy on something? It's not just like, I want you to be here because I like your app, but like, what are you potentially going to do with this extraordinary amount of information about me? Yeah. Well, we saw what the one guy uh, wrote about the cable boxes. That was interesting. Yeah. Do you want to, I mean, so let's, let's, as you say, put a pin in that. Um, but isn't that, I mean, doesn't that interest you a little bit? Cause I have to say, if I, 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 I don't know, I, I, I guess I doubt that there's a bunch of information about me sitting on a server somewhere that came out of moves. I don't even know if I have an account on there, but I, they can probably glean enough to be able to identify me as a person who goes to these places. Right. You're, you're a person in San Francisco who went to this grocery store and, you know, and, and, and this car wash and this bowling alley and you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Like and they know that about you. You don't have to be a demographic genius to open up Saga, the Saga app and have it say, Hey, you go to toy stores a lot. Yeah. You go to comic stores a lot. You go to the park a lot. You go to kid-friendly places. You go to American restaurants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, maybe we'll come back to that, but do you want to talk about uh, what that uh, listener Wrote? I thought that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I do. Let me talk about something I like first. Yes. Squarespace.com. You've heard us talk about Squarespace a couple of times before. And, uh, and, and, and they're amazing. And in case you're new here, I'll tell you what they are. Squarespace, they're an all-in-one platform that makes it easy and fast to create your own professional website, portfolio, online store, you name it. You can make it there. And, uh, and I, I have a little, uh, a little site, baconmethod.com. You go there, learn how to make perfect bacon uh, every time. And, and they've got a, a nice little thing where you can make multiple pages. So I've got a page that shows you like, here's the, the best pan to use. Here's the other things to use. And, and this is all built into Squarespace. If I link something that's like to Amazon, it'll automatically put my Amazon affiliate on there. Like automatically it does all of it. That's just an example, making, uh, making a portfolio site, uploading your images. If you're a musician, you can upload your music. If you're a podcaster, you can have it run your podcast for you. It's amazing. And they've thought of everything and uh, you get a free trial and you're going to get 10% off. If you use the offer code, one word turns out. You will get 10% off. And, uh, and this, is, this is what I want you to do when you go there. Check it out and look at all their templates. Look at their example sites when you're going through their template gallery. There are so many really, really configurable, essentially templates, versions of the site that you can create. And you can mess around with it. You can make one and you can change it. And they make it so easy to change it anytime because they're always coming out with new templates and always coming out with more awesome designs. So... Just just go there and, uh, and 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 check these guys out. Make sure you use that code. Turns out that's the back to work code, and you will get ten percent off. Turns out is the code. <laughs> Squarespace.com. That's a good one. So, <clears throat> how much are we allowed to say about this? Yeah, do, what, what are we allowed to say? Mm, mm. Um, I don't have the thing in front of me. I'm tempted to say we should redact it much I'm looking here find that email okay yeah how much can we say i would just say that there's somebody uh who as part of their work is in a position to know what kind of data comes from a cable box that's it perfect and 
so here's, here's what we can say. We can say that here's what you can get. Uh, if, if you go, you can, you can, you can get cable subscriber viewing habits. And here's the quote from this email. Anyone with a budget can buy the data generated by every set top box, which includes what was watched, rewound, fast forwarded, muted, volume changed, etc., using the name and address of, including the name and address of the subscriber. And the, per, the person says, how do I know? And they, they, they tell us what they, they did. And they said that, uh, that there are ways to get this that are completely legit. I think you can get it directly from, uh, from the cable company, but there are also like user, third parties. User that, identifiable. Yeah. That's what, it, that's what the guy says. Because t- Time Warner Cable knows I'm the one paying for my cable box. And maybe they they sell that data. Of course they sell that data. Why wouldn't they sell that data? I just can't believe it's user identifiable though. That's, that's, the, I mean, like, you know, if you look at, you know, anything you've ever signed up for, there's all kinds of stuff where it's going to use your, your data in the aggregate, you know, to improve service and DDLD and all that kind of stuff. But that's, that seems, I'll put it this way. I did not know that. And I think most people would be surprised to know if you put it really specifically, like if you said to somebody, "Hey, do you know the cable company uh, keeps track of what you're doing with your uh, with your cable box and your DVR?" and they go, "Oh, sure, I'll bet they do." Well, did did you know that they can tell you watched the the Saturday Night Live uh, segment with Emma Stone five times? And they go, "Oh, hmm, that's pretty specific. Hmm, I didn't know that." That's that's creepy. Yeah, and I mean HBO Go, I'm sure, is doing the same exact thing. You're logged in with your account, and they know through that third-party connection through your cable provider that you you are watching Game of Thrones or not, you know, and when right. you watch it. And, you know, so there's two sides to this, and I'm kind of like I'm in between it, man. On the one hand, I'm like, I don't care if they know that I taped it, recorded it, taped, listen to me, that I, I, that I recorded and watched Mad Men like the next day. I don't care. Who cares? And then I paused it, you know, at the third commercial to, you know, go get a glass of water. I don't care. Like that doesn't matter to me, and I don't care if they know that about me. And have to, you know because I'm going to talk about it on a show anyway. So so what? But there's the other part of me that's like, well, I don't really want you know I don't do that many private things. You know what I'm saying? Like I just I I watch TV. You know, like I I don't care who knows what I'm watching. And if you think about applications like Spotify, the half of the reason people like Spotify is so they can see what their friends are listening to. And usually, you know, like I'll listen like, oh man, I can't believe he listened to that song, you know, three times. But it's it, there are a lot of people who don't like the idea that something that happens in their private home is actually a public thing. If you're walking down the street and you pick your nose and there's lots of other people around, they've probably seen you picking your nose and I guess you thought it was okay to do it. You're all right with that. But if you're sitting in in your, you know, your lounge chair at home with the lights off and you pick your nose, you're probably not going to find 50 people uh, who are like, Oh, nice, nice one. You get everything, you know, like that's, that that's what the difference is is that people feel like the things that they do in their home are are private there's a guy right. who clips his uh, fingernails down on the outside bench uh down in front of the building here at the new building <laughs> i don't think that's okay 
but uh, he feels like he's by himself, I think, and he's not. There's people walking by him the whole time, but he feels like picking, uh, clipping his nails, that's okay to do on the bench in the main entrance of the building. That's fine. That's what he does. It's fine. But, uh, you know, th- like he's aware that other people are there. And I think that's the problem is that that now with these devices and these, uh, you know, the, whether the device is a cable box that we think of as sort of innocuous, it's not. It's a two-way machine, man. That's telling everything about what you do. And so is the Apple TV and so is the Roku and so is the Fire TV. How do you, we think that Netflix decided to do House of Cards? They decided to do House of Cards because they knew the kind of stuff we were watching and they knew the way we wanted it released. And they said, this is what people want, not because because we have a hunch like Steve Jobs had a hunch but uh, because they looked at the numbers and they looked at the patterns and they looked at data that came from us as users sitting there well of course they're looking at all this the part that we don't like I think the part that I don't like is that they don't just know that a guy in Austin hit pause halfway through Mad Men to go get a drink of water and watched it the day after it's they knew Dan did that and and I don't love that I don't mind it but I think there's lots of people who get very upset about that mm-hmm um, yeah, I mean, you're, I, 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 part, part of the problem also is I mean, everything you're saying is true. And, you know, when you put all this stuff in the abstract, especially if it's about other people or about the parts of you that you're willing to tell people you don't mind that you're not saying you're not embarrassed about, <laughs> I mean, we can all come up with things and say like, Hey, I do this thing, but man, you better not track this other thing. Right. We've all, we've all got those things we can sit around and like, you know, whistle past the graveyard about those kinds of things. But there's, there's a, there's a basic problem at the center of this, I think, uh, kind of two related problems, but you know, in that instance, it's almost like, um, with the NSA or something, it just, it feels like cheating. It feels like if, you know, if you, you know, use these companies spend so many, you know, thousands or in the case of something like Comcast, these millions and millions of dollars to try and, and, and get you to love the idea of whatever Xfinity is. They really right. want you to associate with this brand and be excited about it. And they actually seem to think that people are going to start talking about Xfinity like it's actually a thing. And, and, but they, they, there's so much stuff out there. You know, they're sponsoring events. There's, you, could, you could name a, a, you know, a, a stadium after a company. There's all these things you do to just smash your brand <laughs> yeah. straight into somebody's face all the time. Yeah. They have seemingly unlimited resources to make it impossible to avoid knowing about their company. And they're fine spending money on that kind of stuff. They're not, a lot of these companies are not as fine about being, using those resources to be super clear about exactly what they're doing with, with our information. And, and I think that's the part that's tricky is you go like, love me, love me, love me, love me, shiv. And so there's this company, there are these companies out there that are glad handing us and, and telling us what we want to hear about stuff. Of course, this, this thing will work great. You get unlimited bandwidth. It works forever. Deedly, deedly, dee. All the pie in the sky, primrose path stuff. And, and then when you find out that they're doing something like that, they might very well say, well, that's all in your user agreement. And you go like, well, is that how I should find out how you're treating me? Is by, is by taking my user agreement to a lawyer? Like that's, that's a big problem. And, you know, right now that, you know, I guess I just, I guess I'm not putting this very well, but I think that it's, it's frustrating and a little bit anxiety making to, when you really think about how much stuff you're really relying on what somebody says they're going to do or what they implicitly, I guess, imply that they're going to do for you. And then when it doesn't work out that way, it makes you angry because you feel hurt. And I think there's been a real hardening 
in this country over the years, as I'll speak for myself, as I more and more feel like I have to look out for where the Scroogey is in this. You know, I mean, we, we there's all the stuff where y'all you always want to look at other people and laugh and go, oh, you're an idiot for for playing the lottery. You're dumb for doing Publishers Clearinghouse. You're dumb for doing all of this stuff where you should just know better. But you know, that doesn't change the fact that we all have to use stuff. We all have to do things. We all have to buy uh, materials. And we, every time we do that, we have to trust those people that, you know, there's not going to be poison in the food, that there's not going to be something that's going to reveal our data without us knowing it. And I, I think that the problem is, like, I think it's going to get weirder and weirder for companies and people as people get harder about that experience. Think about how many how many people's Christmas got really screwed up because of the target data breach. Yeah, really. What a nightmare they went through. Whatever, $400 million, and, or how much was it, 400 million accounts that were, you know. Yeah. And something like $200 million cost to credit unions to, to have to reissue all those cards and so forth. You know, it's just, it's hard not to become cynical is what I'm saying. Regardless of whether it's a company you like or a company you put up with or a company you just straight up hate and will never use, I think it's getting harder and harder to not become cynical and go and just be constantly waiting for where the Scroogey is. And I think that there's more of the companies, I'm not even going to say transparent, that's a virtually meaningless word. People are transparent about the things that they're comfortable telling people. They're never going to tell you what they're not being transparent about. Right. That's how life works. And the, But the problem is, like, I, I mean, what is it going to take before companies... Uh, Reveal to us what it is that they're actually trying to do. You're not really selling me searching the web. You're selling what I did with that web search to the people who sell ads on your site. Right. It's all. It all has to come down to advertising, really. I just don't know how long that's sustainable. And it certainly makes you, you know, I mean, imagine if you went to a restaurant where you went to this restaurant and got like above average fast food and it was free, but you had to look at ads. Like at a certain point, you'd be like, why are you charging me for this? This is weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, it always makes me think of um, Minority Report where you've right. got Tom Cruise's character who's, for spoiler alert, not necessarily has his own eyes. And he's been identified as a different dude when he walks into a shopping store. And, it, you know, it, it sort of knows who he is and knows what he buys and things like that. Now, I actually think that there's an aspect to that that I wouldn't mind so much. And, you know, if I bought a few things at a place and I walk in, in a way it's like, don't show me the stuff that I, you know I'm not going to be interested in. You know, those those bright yellow skinny jeans, I'm never, I don't even need to see them. I don't even <laughs> need to know that they exist. Uh, but, but you know, do show me the, the, the normal genes over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so to know what my buying patterns are and to help kind of get stuff out of the way, um, that for me, that, that would be an advantage if when I walked into, because listen, when I was in South Korea, uh, you, you know, I was one of the only Americans staying in, uh, in this beautiful hotel right on the beach in, uh, in Busan. And as one of the only Americans in there, I was very recognizable. Uh, but I, from what I could tell, they did this with their guests anyway. This was a very expensive, very expensive hotel. Incredibly expensive. I think this was about 10 years ago. I think it was about 50 or $60 a night, a U.S., this wow. was this was outrageously expensive, and this was right literally on 
the beach. Like you walk out the hotel door, you take 10, 15 steps, it's sand and there's the beach there and it's beautiful. And, um, and, and, you know, it, it, but for us, our standards, it was it, one of the cheapest hotels I've ever stayed in over there. It was like, you were living like a King and you would walk in and they had people that spoke perfect English and they would say, hello, Mr. Benjamin, welcome back. Anything I can get for you. And it was, it was a Western style hotel and they wore, you know, white gloves and everything else. But this experience that I had, uh, while I was there, you know, of being like, they knew me, they knew me after five minutes of me checking in, but it seemed like they treated everybody like that. The, if technology's goal, and I don't think it is, but if this goal of knowing our patterns and knowing the stuff that we like is actually going to lead to a better shopping experience, a better travel experience, a better experience in the world in general. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can use my information for that. But the problem is what you just said is that like, we don't really know what we're getting. We don't really know what they're going to do with it. And it's probably not going to be in our best interest. It's just, who knows what it is, you know? And that's the part that we don't really yeah. enjoy. Yeah. Well, and, and in that case, I mean, wouldn't you tacitly believe, though, that any information they gleaned about you would only be used internally? Like if you're, if you went right. to the Ritz or like this place and, and you say, Hey, how did you know I like oatmeal cookies? And like, well, the database told us that, like, that's the cookies that you ate last yeah. time that you were here. Yeah. How did you know I want NPR? Well, that's what the radio station was tuned to last time. There's something about that. That's, you know, a little superficially creepy, but it's not super creepy. But if they used what they could observe about you to sell to a liquor company or a marriage counselor, that would be kind of gross. At what point does it go from a little creepy or useful use it seems like the the pattern is useful creepy gross and and where <laughs> right. where is the uncanny valley in that where is the change in that when did because if i went to a hotel you know there there's no reason for them to put a mint anywhere in that room because i'm not going to eat that mint and if they if the last hotel that i went in saw that they put a mint every day and it was still there at the end of the day they could check a little box somewhere that says don't leave mints for dan that would actually i think be a useful thing if you know if if a hotel knows that i always wind up calling down to ask for a foam pillow every time just put put a couple extra foam pillows in the room ahead of time very useful you know same thing with the the yellow skinny jeans don't need them but i feel like it was so that's useful to me and and the trade is you're using kind of some potentially creepy uh information about me to get that but it's making my life better and my travel experience better so it's all right i you mm -hmm. know i i always will pick a middle or an aisle seat i never want a window seat remember that and automatically pick a good seat for me when i'm signing up for an airline that of course i can change before i hit submit but that's a good thing. I've flown with JetBlue and American enough that they should just know that. How many times have I ever been in a window seat? Never. How many times have I upgraded to the more space? Every time. So learn that. Do that and then give me a discount when I do that. Those things are useful. But when does it go, Merlin, when does it go into the creepy and then gross categories from there? When they don't tell you they're selling that information to a cookie company. Or when they don't tell you that they're selling that, 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 that hotel chain gets acquired and they sell the information that they learned from doing your laundry uh, to, a, to a department store. Yeah. That's, that's, there's nothing wrong it's the with share, to, It's the sharing part, that they're not using it. It's, just, the, sharing, it's the sharing without telling you part. Yeah. And, and the, the, re, the, the only way this, we're probably a little off topic, but it's just that with the Moves app thing, I don't really think twice about stuff like that if it's just on my device. 
Um, and in fact, I mean, I've got accounts in some places that, that track that data, but there's something kind of weird about entrusting that information about your, I mean, the M7 chip is a real, that's a very informative little chip. It says a lot, like where you spend your time, like how you get there, what you do when you leave, all that kind of stuff. And again, I mean, see, I, I feel like it's really facile. I mean, with respect, I feel like it's kind of facile to say, I don't want people to know where I am. Well, you know, I don't mind that in the one sense, but I definitely mind people who like want to find that out. I'm like, you knowing that I was at the mall this day because you saw me there is one thing, but then being somebody who wants to kind of go and find that information out without me knowing it, that's super creepy. That's like, you know, that's, there's a lot of people whose lives could be really harmed by that kind of information for it being just okay. If we all just agree as a people that I got nothing to hide. Well, it's not that we have anything to hide. It's just that don't we want to have some kind of a line between the, you know, the private and the public on those kinds of things? You know, I think we do. Should that still be an option? It should still be an option. Yeah, it should still be an option. But I mean, look, look at the whole fact that Facebook exists and that shows that, that our, I say our, I mean, yours and mine, that our potential way of thinking is 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 change, is is a, an older way of thinking it's not a not as modern of a way of thinking in the sense that um you know people willingly share their locations constantly on facebook and and other you know other things like i I might share on Foursquare if I'm like, oh, I'm at WWDC. I wonder if my friends are going to go to this bar or this restaurant. I will put my location in here so that people who want to hang out can find me. That's like, that's when I do that. I, I don't do that, you know, like on, in, a, in a private sense, you know, like I don't do that for me. And this is just we're we're kind of like the old school way of thinking it's it's very normal to say i'm here i'm with these other people i'm doing this thing and right. and uh, i'm i'm dating this one person and i broke up with this person and i have a dog i mean all of these things are public now things that for so long we all thought or wanted to be private now it's just natural to instantaneously share them and you know the whole fact that twitter and instagram and facebook exist come from that desire for us to say you know look where i am or look what i'm doing or look what i just saw and uh, yes we have conversations on twitter about things but i think we're in the minority i think a lot of people are more like at the beach yo and, yeah. you know, and, and where we're like, did you install the new version of Mark? It's great. Th there's a lot of that, but I think there's a lot of just the sort of, I don't want to call it showing off, but shouting out about what you're, what you're doing and where you are. Yeah. Well, I don't have a Facebook account. You don't even have an account on there. I have, I have the minimal amount of whatever I need there so that somebody doesn't have my name. That's what I have. I don't have a Facebook account. Yeah. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be a contrarian, and I'm not trying to say I could. You, you're right. I could be on the wrong side of history. Um, if somebody asks me for a stick of gum when I'm on the street, I want to give them a stick of gum. That's no problem at all. Right? Because a stick of a, a gum has like next to zero value. It's like giving somebody a Kleenex, right? <laughs> yeah. But if you break into my house to steal a Kleenex, that's a real different Kleenex you're taking out. Because that was not the deal. Like, it's not cool for you to come in and do that. So, I, I, and again, I don't want to turn this into a whole thing about privacy because that's that's a different. Kind of, well, started as a different thing. All I'm trying to say is whether or not I'm on the wrong side of history, it's frustrating to me to think that this cool app comes along uh, that, that starts to feel a little like a Trojan horse 
where you know maybe they don't know they're going to be acquired by Facebook. Maybe Facebook's never going to do anything with that data. But next time an app like that comes along, I've got the fear a little bit. Oh yeah, because I don't want that to happen. I don't. I, I'm. I have to just say, like, I, I'm not like a nut about this stuff. I I post stuff about stuff all the time, but I don't. But I do think it's it's important to respect to the extent that's sane, where people choose to draw the line with those things. And it's just that the reason I think this leads into our, or circles back to our earlier discussion, is like, what happens with all the stuff that you entrust to these places after they decide to do something else as a business? Whether that's, I mean, would you be okay with the photos you have on Dropbox getting analyzed by a company that acquires Dropbox in order to sell you stuff better? No. Why? Well, I mean, th- for the record, I don't put photos there. But if I did, then I no, because they are private photos. And but I everybody would, posts stuff everywhere, Dan. Yeah, I know. But see, there's a, there's still, and this is maybe an old school thing for me, is that, like, I think I think to people now, private is something that, or the way we have to define it is, private is it doesn't exist online anywhere <laughs> it's not in public yet <laughs> it, right yeah but you know, like if if i'm if i'm holding a digital slr camera that doesn't have the wi-fi thing on it and look there's a wi-fi thing for digital slr cameras so you can share them instantly but if i'm holding my dslr and i've got the the card in there and i take a photo that's a private photo if i put if i take a picture with my phone even pre-instagramming it in a way, I feel like maybe it is online because there maybe there's an iCloud backup or maybe there's the photo stream happening or something. It's going somewhere. I'm aware of that, you right. know. And and so the very idea that for most of us, the cameras that we carry are in our phones and our phones are online all the time. That's a big step. That's a big difference from where things used to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I guess all I'm saying is that, that I want to draw a little bit of a distinction. I'm not saying that I'm correct or that I know that I'm right about this, but I mean, I want to draw a distinction uh, between the changing climate of how people choose to share choose to share things with other people versus putting stuff someplace with a reasonable expectation of privacy and then not knowing what happened to it after it went somewhere else. That's the part where I wonder. I wonder at, at what point. I mean, for example, like if you sign up for an enterprise service, like if you're if you're a business and you want to have some kind of enterprise data service, I would have to imagine that you, you the lawyers and the IT people probably spend a lot of time combing through that agreement to make sure there's all kinds of understanding about liability, confidentiality. Don't, I mean, don't you have to, don't you think? Yeah. So like, you know, what if, what if the company that you store your data with suddenly starts, you know, you start discovering that ads start popping up when you're using the web based on information you've stored in their cloud? Yeah. Like that would be creepy, right? Can we agree? It's a straw man, but play with, play along with me. I know that, but would that be creepy if you said, wait a minute, how would you know that all this stuff from this encrypted Excel spreadsheet from last year, how would you use that to sell me a popcorn machine now? That's really weird. Like, you know, Matt Howie. Matt Howie was saying he was somewhere today and saw an eBay ad for something he'd been looking at on eBay a couple or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I see that all I don't the time. Get this. Okay. So, I mean, it sounds like we could, most people could probably agree that if you did that under contract with like a, a service provider in the enterprise, that would be really beyond the pale, right? Because they, they go, oh, you got us. We're using your data to sell you, sell ads for a part, portion of a penny. Like that, we, that would definitely be not okay, right? 
I just wonder if there's ever going to be a point at this point, talk about the wrong side of history. It just seems it would be nice to know when you sign up for something, like where your stuff's going to be now and in the future. I know there's no way to guarantee that, and that probably sounds really naive, but, you know, I don't want to say anything because I feel like now I just sound like an old man. But I just, I, you know, when something like that happens, it's a bummer. If you've trusted this company to be the place where you store your photos, I mean, n- not all of us are going to be Stallman. Some of us want to be able to have some convenience with commercial products in our life and are willing to give that away for even a sum of money. It's just that, you know, as it gets easier to start a business, as it gets easier to pivot a business, as it becomes more tempting to sell a business, you know, what happens to your stuff and do we have any reasonable expectation about having that around for any amount of time? You know, most places probably aren't obligated to do much of anything. I mean, if you go and read, I mean, one time I did actually read the the agreement for office in the 90s and there's that phrase in there, it's not suitable, this phrase something along the lines of this is not suitable for any purpose. You ever seen that that clause? No. EULA. I think it's a pretty, somebody out there can point me to a link, but I think it's a pretty standard clause in every EULA that basically says, we don't guarantee this will do literally anything. <laughs> that you assume all responsibility for whatever goes wrong with this. So weird. Yeah. Do you want to talk about something you like? I would. I would like to tell you about our friends over at Harry's. We've talked about them a couple times too. And gosh, I'm, uh, I, I love having these guys as a sponsor because they're, they, they make such a fun, great product. They, uh, you know, I've told you about the story before. In case you don't know what Harry's is, these guys make razor blades and razors. It's that simple. But they've completely turned this thing around the way that they, these are the same folks that are behind Warby Parker who makes uh, the glasses that I wear that I've worn for years. And they wanted to do basically the same thing for, for shaving that they did for eyewear. They, uh, the, one of the founders, this guy, Andy, he went into a drugstore and he wound up dropping like 25, uh, 25 bucks on like a razor and some blades because he was out of it. He needed it. And he said the experience was terrible. They, they had to go to a guy and get the guy to un- unlock the thing with a key in this, you know, and he's like, there's got to be a better way than this. And, you know, we talked about this too, the way that the razor blade companies, uh, they, they get you is they charge the, you know, they give you the razor for, for almost nothing. And then they charge you incredible amount of money for these blades incredible amount of money for the blades. Well, that's how they get you. That is how they get you. And here's the way that, uh, that, that Harry's makes it better is they started working with this company in Germany who they eventually wound up buying their, the whole factory in Germany who makes like some of the best blades in the whole world. And they sell the blades at like half the price of the blades you're going to go and get at target. They're half the price and they're better. And they ship them to you and you can even earn affiliate blades basically if you send your friends over and they buy stuff from Harry's. Uh, it's a really, really great service. The packaging is really awesome. The experience is great. And of course, like the razor, it's got that nice thick handle so you know that you're using something. It's not just a piece of plastic. The blades, like I said, they work really great. They they, they take care of the whole thing. And, there's, no, uh, there's no ads on the razors? They don't. The razors don't track your <laughs> they movement? They don't track if you're they shaving up or down. They don't photos of your kid? No, none of that. Useful and not creepy or gross. Not creepy or gross. Yeah, and uh, and that's their motto. That's their their company. uh, Just an idea, man, Dan. Yeah. So there. Anyway, you go to Harry's H A R R Y S dot com. Harry's dot com, and uh, and and there's a promo code, special code, comics. That's the code because this is well. I mean, it's a show about comics. You're gonna get five bucks off your first purchase, whatever that is that you're buying the first time. Comics. And you will have an amazing experience like I have. I use this razor. And uh, and I had said, I wonder if there are any uh, women in the audience who, who are using this. And a number of guys wrote me to say that their, their uh, wives or, or uh, special lady friends will borrow 
or in some cases even steal their Harry's razor and use that instead. And that one, one guy in particular said it's a billion times better than the, the razors that she uses. So it's basically become hers and he needs to get a new one. So another great example of disclosure being important. It's okay to do it. Just let me know that you've done it. There you go. I don't want to be surprised to find out I'm not the only person using this. No. So go get, you know what? They, they, I bet you anything these guys come out with a pink one uh, because that's the default color for women. Mm. So uh, anyway, the, but anyway, these are great razors for men and women to use. Go check them out. Harry's.com. Code is comics. Save uh, five bucks. Go check them out. I love them. They sent me, uh, they sent me some and it's gotten me back into shaving. I sh- I've started shaving again. I mean, I'm not an animal. I'm not going to do it every day. <laughs> no, of course not. Never, never. But they're they're pretty great. I mean, oh my gosh, the razor racket. Can I just literally beg you not to get me started? I won't. I won't get you started. You won't get me started? No. I'm sorry, Dan. That went weird places. I like this show. Yeah, it was a good show. Where we're going. It's, um... It's, uh... It's just... It's it's a strange thing. Like, because, like, none of this stuff matters until it matters. You know? And, like, once the service that you thought you could depend on while you were laughing out of the corner of your face about all the other suckers who had all these services go down like you know once that happens to you it's it's really a bummer it brings us back to dropbox i just hope that thing never gets screwed up uh, yeah dropbox i mean there are other alternatives people will point at box.net they'll also there are these things where you can like host your own cloud and and there's icloud but at dropbox group the, has a group has one too that's pretty neat i haven't tried theirs oh it's neat and it's it's private and stuff and i think you can even do the uh roll your own thing with it it's pretty cool it's just a service that runs on your not a service, so, but it uh, runs on your Mac and does its thing. But um, yeah, I still think the whole photo thing is kind of an unsolved problem. You know, the people the people who are real hoity toity about the all you got to do is this and this and this and this and this. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of work to do this and this and this and this and this. You know. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like when you know. Uh, as a developer, you know, if you're working with designers, a designer will come in or, or, or the boss will come in and say, Oh, I, I wanted to do this and, and this. And you're like, okay, well, that's actually like a week of work. We can do it, but it's, it's not, I can't have it done by the end of the day. And they're like, why not? You did this other thing and only took an afternoon. You're like, well, <laughs> that, that other thing, which seemed really, really hard to you was actually really easy. And this thing that seems really easy is really, really hard. And as a developer, if you're a good one, you know that, you know that when a designer or somebody else says, Oh, put this thing over here and make it work like this. And can't you just make it look like a calendar that those things are going to be difficult and time consuming and yes, possible. Possible, but they're just detailed and time consuming. And, and that thing where you, you made the second drop down list propagate from the choice in the first one, that's pretty easy, but making the thing look like a calendar, maybe that's going to be more time consuming even with the gem. So, you know, it, it's the same thing on, on the flip side, like you're talking about. Developers, um, and Let's just make that's really real reductive and piss everybody off. All right. Developers and managers have a funny relationship because the managers think of themselves as the parents and the developers as the kids. But in reality, it's it's almost more like Hong Kong Fui and his dog. Where Hong what Kong was Fui, the dog's name? I've been racking my I head. I don't remember. Oh my God, you're killing me. I'm going to use this service. It'll probably leverage this into an ad later. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I know he's the number one super guy. I know he's quicker than the human eye. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I know he's got a, a cool painting of a black lady in his apartment. 
I you think know, you're Scat thinking Man of the uh, Scatman Crothers. <laughs> He's the voice of Hong Kong Fu. I knew that. I did Hong know Kong that. Book of Kung Fu. <laughs> What's his dog's name? Um, you know, but Hong Kong Fui goes out and he's always, I can't find the dog's name. I'm looking. Hong Kong Fui goes out and, and Hong Kong Fui with his Hong Kong book of Kung Fu always feels like, you know, he's the master of Kung Fu and he's the one who's always getting everything accomplished, never realizing that it's the cat that's constantly saving his butt all the time. And I, that, that's why I think it's a funny thing that in reality, I'm not saying it's as simple an inversion as developers are actually the parents and managers are actually the children. Why would I say something as careless as that? Yeah. Uh, but it is funny how if you have somebody come in, when you're a developer Spot. and like you're the- The cat's name is Spot. The cat. The cat. It's a cat. That's yeah, right. Cat. He's a dog. Yeah. Let me start over. It's just funny though, because I mean, if you know stuff as a developer, somebody who's been, been on that team for a while, you know stuff about the constraints- of what you can actually get accomplished, how this data is structured, what's involved if this particular kind of thing goes wrong, you know, at two o'clock on a Sunday, you know, you end up having to respond in a way that makes it sound like that management person still got what they wanted and won. But if you, if you came back to them with the actual facts about it, it would be a bloodbath. I mean, have you had that experience where if you were to explain, if you were to get actually get very Carl Van Hoot and explain to them why what they're asking for would take three months to do well. If you do that, you're, you're, you know, you're not going to be credibility with that person anymore. If you're honest with them and say, if you really want that, and here's the thing, we need it done. It has to be fast. It has to be up all the time. It has to, and you're like, oh man, you know, they call it the project management triangle for a reason. It's not a project management hexagon and you don't get to have six hands on it. Like there's got to be some constraints here based on what we can do. Mm -hmm. It's a gift. We should button this up, Dan. All right. Okay, I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. 